With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about the Federal Reserve, mortgage rates, job openings, purchase applications, and of course, whether the mortgage rate lockdown is real. First, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Diego Sanchez, COO of HW Media, and I'm joined today by Alex Ilazai, Chief Strategy Officer at United Wholesale Mortgage. Thanks for joining us today, Alex. Hey, Diego. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So diving right in, we might be seeing the first glimmers of a rebound in the housing market. How is this playing out in the broker channel? It's playing out really well. So we're excited about 2023. We see a lot of optimism in the market, just like we in 2022 and leading into Q4 and and we're hitting the the ground running uh, really fast in 2023 here in Q1. We're excited about this whole year and what's upcoming. We've launched a lot of new products. We continue to see a lot of optimism in the broker channel overall. And obviously when we're in a purchase market as we're in right now, that's where brokers really thrive in the more complex transactions with buyers and sellers and agents and a lot more going on. Just brokers are the best place for consumer to get a loan. So we see a lot of uh, them continue to grow and, and thrive. Alex, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your insights. Great. Thank you. It's good to spend time with you. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. And the battle between the mortgage rate lockdown will continue as always. (laughs) Yes, it will. We will get to that. But first, we have to start with the Federal Reserve. So Powell was in front of Congress on Tuesday. He made some comments. Would love to know what you think of that. But then he got on, we're we're recording this on Wednesday. He got on, uh, said some things today. So they, and they seem contradictory. So let's start with Tuesday. What did he say in front of Congress? You know, my take on this, they should just take the victory, shut up, and just do what the original plan was. The whole premise of front-loading rate hikes was told by everyone at the Federal Reserve to get to a certain point and let it stick. Stick and then wait because we all know there's a lag period. Chairman Powell reversed that with some other Fed members, and they deserve the brutal takedowns that they're getting from social media and from other people that are Fed followers. You have to be a man and stick to something that you hold. And we we talked about this last week. We said they're like a quarterback that thinks there's a pass rush coming and they fall straight to the ground, even though there's nobody around him. You can't say one thing for many, many months and then all of a sudden go, well, people are buying homes. We don't like that. Or inflation picked up a little bit more than we thought and we might have to do That was the whole idea of front-loading all the rate hikes as fast and as aggressive as possible, and they turned, which then everybody started questioning him, and Powell came this morning and said, you know what, I didn't really mean that. I said, you know, we know the monetary lag. Listen, if you can't do this job, go. I'll do it. I'll take it. We, We hold the line on what we talk about, right? That was a complete flip. And then it was confusing for everyone because the bond market didn't do anything. 
right? So there's this historical battle right now because the short end of the bond market, the two-year, three-months, these things are all rising aggressively because the Fed's rising rates. The 10-year yield got so inverted, it's 100 basis points, an inversion an inversion means basically in historical uh, context that the Fed is over hiking. Now they're at historical levels right now. So the bond market, which never kind of bought into the Fed's whole 70 inflation thing, just kind of sitting there and going, dude, you, you said this for like months now. What are you changing? So I think that was not a very good Powell event. Um, and he's, he tried to backtrack it today when he's talking to Congress and then people are going, what's going on here? Listen, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time Jerome needs to go. If, if you don't want, if you don't want the pressure of this job, let somebody there that wants to do it, but you can't talk about something for months and then backtrack it this morning, right? You are the head of the federal reserve. The entire financial institutions around the world are looking at you. Take a stand and endure. Well, especially because, you know, even when he's taken a stand, we have had to, uh, you know, the mortgage industry and housing has had to put up with these incredibly volatile rates. Uh, I mean, even when he's being consistent about what he's saying. So the fact that he came on on Tuesday to, to Congress and was like, we're going to have rapid rate hikes. And then on Wednesday, he says something different. Like, we don't need that. It, it was confusing and, and, the, and even more confusing for a lot of people was that the bond market just yawned. Bond market yawned this morning. It's like, okay, whatever you want. You, you, I mean, the this is such a historical battle between the long end of the bond market and the short end. The short end cannot do anything but just go with all the rate hikes. So the short end was kind of pricing. Maybe we don't do it, but the Fed is like, no, we're going to go through. We're going to keep on hiking. So they have to keep on going up higher. And then the long end, I mean, mortgage rates right now should be over 8%. The 10-year yield should be much higher than what it is right now. But the long end just never has kind of bought into this 70s Inflation Act. And yesterday is a really good example. Um, and those of you that read the Housing Wire Tracker, I draw those black lines on the bond market channels and say, it's okay, you know, this is a big week. But clearly yesterday confused a lot of people because uh, – uh, people did not understand why the long end of the bond market just said no, no, we're not, we're not going along with that. So, um, it, it 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 was not Jerome's best moment. And to come back this morning and say no, 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 we we understand the monetary lag of all these rate hikes, then stick with it. That was just like eight months of work goes out the door when you say things like that, and it's it's frustrating because. What they don't want to happen will happen if they keep on talking this way, that they they don't want to cut rates when the economy gets weaker or they don't want to. And, and this is leading into that in point that if the jobless claims data starts to rise on them, the long end will keep on going and it just makes them look. They, they look, look old like. and slow at this moment. They are old and slow and Powell looked old and slow yesterday and it was it was frustrating to see that and to come back the next day uh not his best moment at all stick to the plan aggressive fed rate hikes get to a certain level and just let it stick and then that that you know at least that that was something workable but now it's up in the air 
So you've been one that has said, uh, you know, throughout the last year, year and a half, that the Fed likes to talk like a junkyard dog, but when you push them, they're not going to really follow through. You've also said that the the bond market doesn't believe the Fed. Is this what you're seeing, like right now, with well, what the, the, the long doing? end of the bond market? Yeah, the long end of the bond market doesn't really believe the Fed, and but it was going along to a degree. But now there's a, I mean, there's a historical difference now between what the 10-year yield thinks is going to happen and then what short the short-term rates have to go with what where the Fed does it. And for a while there, they weren't really convinced yet. But the last, you know, economic data getting firmer and, and inflation data getting firmer, they kind of went along with it. But what happened yesterday shows that maybe just not talking. Right. Sometimes. <laughs> just keeping it simple because it was it was such a I mean, it really was this morning. I mean, to 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 come back the twenty four hours later, less than twenty four hours, and to say, "Well, we we wanted to slow down the rate hikes because we know the monetary like." Then what are you talking about? Come on, stick to the plan so you don't have to cut rates faster. That was the whole idea of it. And uh, I it just listen. If you don't want the job, walk. Right. If it's too hard for you, walk. I get it. it. It's not an easy job, right? It's 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 something, especially when you hear from politicians at grandstand. Uh, but you you took responsibility for that, and you go with it. You stick to your plan, but don't don't come twenty four hours later and say, "Oh, by the way, you know, I you know uh, we wanted to slow the rate hikes because because now it just looks like whatever." The, the long end of the bond market was right. You know, the short end was like, "Okay, we have to go with him if he wants us," but. Um, that was not good. That was not beneficial to anyone. How, if, if you're in housing, right? Housing has been a re- in a recession since June of last year. If you're in housing, if you're a mortgage loan officer, if you're a real estate person and you're like, okay, we're coming up on the spring home buying season. Basically it's here. We're in March. How do I know? Like, what do, I, what's my takeaway on rates from what's happened this week with Powell? Well, first of all, you don't want the U S dollar getting stronger. If you're in the housing market now, I know traditionally no one talks about this, but you know it was a big talking point last year. You know, and uh, the dollar was getting too strong and created market market havoc. Now the dollar is getting strong, not at the same pace as last year, but there's a risk of the dollar getting super strong again and creating market havoc, where foreign countries got to sell treasuries and rates go up. So. The more this goes on, the more of a of a market risk event like we saw last year happens. But they they had a good thing going for them. They they front loaded all the rate hikes. The U.S. economy didn't go into recession, but the whole premise was to stop five five and a quarter whatever, and this let time take its course. Their own predictions, their own models, even told them that the growth rate of PCE was going to slow down. Right. So I, I it's they they need to like at this point, realize they're not where they were a year ago. You've already did the bulk of the work. There's no need to do anything more out of norm. Just stick to the original plan. Okay. The other big part of rates, of course, uh, based on you know what's going to drive uh, Fed actions is jobs. So we had job, we're recording this on Wednesday. We have some jobs today, but of course, uh, more coming. What, what did the jobs report tell you? So the ADP number was uh, was was a beat, but not too many people put too much weight on that. The job openings number came in better than anticipated, but it's falling. Um, 
job openings for construction labor had the biggest decline post-2008 in this report. So I've always said that COVID-19 created a infrastructure and jobs program. It's the delay uh, that's keeping these people employed. So you saw a noticeable drop. And a lot of times these data lines are, are wild and get re- revised, but that was the sharpest decline in job openings in construction uh, post-2008, or at least to, to, to where the chart actually goes to. So um, the 10-year yield kind of yawned, uh, just kind of sitting there at this level. Uh, we have claims data uh, Thursday and then jobs Friday. And jobs, it's all over the map this time because of the seasonality issues of last month's report and this month's report. So there, there is a chance for like a a, a a a miss just due to the seasonality tracking of, of the labor report. But really, it's just so much is going to change over the next 12 months that I, I, I'm concerned that uh, the, the stigma of the 1970s, right? And uh, uh, that fear of housing booming again and reflation uh, is, is starting to get into some of the Fed talk. And it, it's, it's looking strange now at this point. But job openings data is falling. The, some of the other data lines, that you could see that the labor marketing is softening up. Uh, wage growth is slowing down, so they're getting what they want. But for some reason, there's they're 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 trying to push something that the markets don't really anticipate. And, I, and the concern is that they want to keep rates higher for longer. Well, if they keep pushing, and then the labor market breaks, and then puts them in another bad situation, I told people this is a cupcake dance between the senators and and Powell. Imagine if jobless claims are rising. Right, and then then what are they going to do if wage growth is cooling down? So, um, yeah, just just stick to the original plan. It's it was working for you. It was you, you want to keep rates higher than longer, but there's you can't come one day and say one thing and then the next day say the other thing that you told us for many many months now. We've been talking about construction jobs because it's very specific, as you said, um, really there was this backlog of homes that the builders were working through because of supply chain issues um, during COVID-19 and afterwards. So that's really held up that construction job number for quite a while, longer than it would have um, given how many homes are being built. So we're starting to see that break now. What do you think? Is this going to just drop pretty fa- far or what? Well, here, here's the thing. There, you know, uh, Somebody wrote about that the construction labor market is, is keeping the U.S. out of recession. I, one of the things that I've emphasized for almost 10 years now, uh, we had the weakest housing recovery ever from 2008 to 2019. There was never a credit boom. There never can be a credit boom. There was no production boom either, right? So the total employment that we have is not just residential construction, but it's also remodeling. So uh, the labor market dynamics are different than what we had to the run-up in 2005 because production was so high. This is this is literally why I draw these black lines on all these long-term charts, whether it's housing starts, permits, so people thought, and they still do, they still run models based on 2005 to two, or excuse me, 2002 to 2008 economics, and it, it was never there in the data line. So uh, the, the builders are, in a sense, 
can manage the situation a little bit better, a lot actually a lot better than what they had back then, but also the labor market to a degree because of remodeling in 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 that industry. Um, but really the the contracts would have never been taken on the new home sales if they knew rates were six to seven percent. And because you take the contract ahead of time, uh, the builders are stuck with those homes. So they're doing what they can to get to get rid of them. And this is why we only have 68,000 new homes available for sale. It's not the millions that that people keep on talking about. Like, there's there's so much bad stuff on the internet. I cannot. There I really is. I mean, I if I had a nickel for every person who says there's more homes under construction than per capita or total. And I was like, do you know how the business model works for the builders? They do not flood the marketplace with complete sales. Like, And then you show them what it was in the housing bubble crash. We didn't even get to 200,000 homes back then. And uh, so it, it, it's a much different dynamic, but you know, uh, those homes never would have gone into contract with a 7% rate. So that's why the cancellation rates are high. Some people just don't qualify for the home, so they have to cancel them on them and they find other buyers. But we're not working from very uh, high levels of sales. And this has also been a theme of my articles always. We are at historical low levels when you adjust to the cancellation rate of where new home sales is. So it's not like you're working from 1.4 million new home sales like we did in 2005. We're we're well, you know, adjusting to cancellations uh, under 500,000 actually for, for some of the months. So different dynamics here. So we're nowhere close to your um, prediction that if we get to 323,000, tell us about that level for jobs and where we are. In in October, um, I talked about, you know, I'm not a Fed pivot person, but I wrote a model for it. And I said, the Federal Reserve won't pivot until jobless claims four-week moving average gets over 323,000. If you look back in the history pre-COVID, when the, when the, when the labor market gets the claims from a low base, you're getting ready for a recession. But here, because of where job openings at in the labor force dynamics, boy, that would really mean a deterioration in the labor force. That's why I use that number. And that's why I stick to that. Why? Because real people create models. They just don't make up stuff. Twitter, finance, 99% make up stuff. Um, So until that occurs... But what you can see is that the bond market has tried to get ahead of the Fed twice, and uh, the economic data is still firm. They are just waiting. The waiting, once the labor market breaks and then the uh, 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 wage growth cools down, they will get well ahead of the Fed. And in a sense, they will do some of the Fed lifting for them early on. Uh, Financial uh, conditions will ease. Uh, bond yields will fall, mortgage rates will fall. If the stock market rallies, again, these are financial conditions easing. The Federal Reserve used to fight this all the time. Remember uh, last year where you know uh, mortgage rates went to 5% and they were fuming at that. You know, uh, they And at some point, if the labor market breaks, they can scream and yell all they want. Uh, at a TV, the, the bond market literally won't, won't uh, uh Take them on uh, their their aggressive uh, putback talk. So, so we're just at this point. We're getting labor force data uh, or li- labor data. Jobless claims to me is always number one. But we got a jobs report coming out on Friday. So the job openings data it looks like things have peaked in there. Some of the other data lines that we ca- track with job openings it looks like 
the uh, deceleration in wage growth, the quit ratios, the percentage of quits is back to pre-pandemic levels, two and a half percent. The Federal Reserve does not want you to have the ability to quit your job and get a higher paying job. Bad, bad, bad. <laughs> we don't endorse that in this country. Come on, wages going up for the lower end of people? No. And that's always been the knock on the Federal Reserve, right? When wage growth typically tries to get up, they, they, they break it down. Uh, and here they're actively saying, no, 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 this is bad. Wages going up with productivity uh, so low is not a good thing. So they're trying to create labor force to create more supply. And I think that's the, you know, the, the heated debate between Elizabeth Warren and, and Chairman Powell, you know, the 2 million people. And here's the problem post-2008. We just had the longest economic and job expansion in history. We had a very fast recovery. So most people are always working, always. So when you tell people, I have a 4.6% unemployment rate soon, that's a job loss recession. So you're basically outlying a case for people to lose their jobs. You need to own it. You need to tell Elizabeth Warren, yes, I'm going to fire 2 million people. That's too many people working. I don't want that. So that's my job. My job is price stability. I don't care about your job. So I kind of did a little running joke yesterday on Twitter. I said, Powell should have just came to Elizabeth Warren and said, you know what you can do, Senator? You can force uh, people to start paying their student loan debts. That will take income out of the system faster than what I can do. And that will create less disposable income. So the inflation rate gets hit. Or you could raise the payroll taxes. I'm joking, and that's, that'll, that'll never happen. But you know, the, uh, the Fed could only do so much with a blunt instrument. Uh, you, the money, the circulation of dollars in the systems, or the ability to to take on debt, you need to hit incomes uh, hard. So uh, next time, you know, uh, if, if this ever happens again, and you're worried about inflation, raising taxes or you know payroll taxes or, or something in that nature has a faster velocity than the Fed tools right now. So something down the line, but uh, uh, that was a heated argument. But the Fed told you they're going to do this. They said, we want 2 million people to lose their jobs. So there it is. There it is. Well, I wanted to pivot our own pivot here um, to purchase apps and the tracker this week. So purchase apps came out. What what did that show us? Uh, 7% week to week increase. But again, we are working from very low levels uh, and uh, year over year down 42%. Just remember that, you know, going back to last year, talking about, you know, uh, because of the comps, we should be between 35 to 45% year over year declines. That was toward the end of uh, uh, 2022. Now, as every month goes by, the, the, the comps will get easier and easier. So the fact that you are down 42%, still uh, with easier comps shows that the year-over-year decline is, is more noticeable. But, you know, it's a purchase application data is a trend survey data. So you have to remember it in this context that we are, in a sense, back to 2014 levels and existing home sales were much higher back then than what we have right now. So uh, think of it as a survey, not, you know, and it, it moves with trend sales very well, but sometimes matching it with certain years, you, you could get lost uh, but yeah, we saw an increase um, of 7% week to week. And just remember, the bar is so low. We all can trip over it because we can't see it because it's so low. So everything has to be taken in context with that data line. So the tracker, the housing market tracker that you put out every Monday, this week we saw incredibly low inventory again. Tell us about that. Active listings fell. 
11,000. That's more than what we saw the week before and the week previous. Um, Again, late cycle demand curves. Some of these homes are being peeled off because purchase application data had 12 weeks of positive growth that looks forward. But the new listings data on a weekly basis, just on a week to week, uh, had the lowest print ever. So now here, do you like the Phantom of the Opera, Sarah? I do. Yes. Yes. You do that? Okay. So I know you're a mortgage rate lockdown person, and I know that people, some of you think I'm crazy because I don't believe in the mortgage rate lockdown, but I just wanted to say something. (sighs) For the 42% of homes in America that don't have a mortgage, do they have a phantom mortgage rate locking them down? (laughs) Is it? Is it possible that the society has been duped into thinking that the phantom of the opera is also a phantom of the mortgage rate lockdown and that that massive amount of housing supply is being locked down by a rate that does not exist. Listen, but okay, okay, that is a good point. I will say that is a good point about the mortgage rate lockdown. So 40%. But but there are still that leaves 60% of the people who do have a mortgage. And for them, the mortgage rate is probably one of the most important things. New listings data this year. It's not that much different than last year. And it's not that much different in 2021 when rates were more lower, when rates were lower, actually. So because this is my entire life, if you give me (laughs) one hour and a chalkboard and a chalk, I could do a total dissertation to take down the mortgage rate lockdown because it's so much bigger than this story. Um, The 42% of homes that don't have a mortgage is is my comical act actually into it. I just wanted to use it uh, today, but there's all these other different variables. And what, you know, one thing I showed today on Twitter is that, you know, back in 2014, 2015, 2016, we were much higher new listings, but in 2015, mortgage rates were falling, right? And we were much higher back then. Right. So we went from three and a half to four and a half percent in mortgage rates. And when mortgage rates were falling, new listings were more back then. So even in a downshift, we still had more people listing. And this goes into this whole story of what happened after 2010. The 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 credit channels are different. People can't even move. It's it's like somebody tells me, I'm never gonna sell my house. I have a three percent mortgage. Were you gonna sell your house this year? No. Can you afford to buy another house at 7%? No. Then why are you in this conversation? Get out of here. Go away. Go away. (laughs) It's like there's a longer term story here. And the confusion always goes back to what we saw in 2000 to 2005. 2000, we had 2 million active listings. 2005, we had 2.5 million active listings. We had booming sales back then, right? So people were buying homes, moving. Those credit channels are over with, right? So you have to adapt everything to a new credit channel world and also- the 42% of homes in mortgage that have a phantom of the opera, Sarah Wheeler mortgage rate, that's haunting them that they don't want to move because they're losing that. Oh, wait, they don't have a rate. <laughs> now I'm hearing phantom of the opera music in my head as we speak. So here, here's a question. When you look at inventory and there's, so all those people have failed to list their homes, right? We have a very small number of people listing their homes over the last couple of years, not just this year. Um, but we have had a household formation. We have more household formation than people have been buying homes. What, what do you, is that just affordability? You know, we have this demographic coming. We have that whole, you know, date, mate, what, I can't remember what you're, uh, what you're thinking. Let me do that. Let me do that. For those that don't know my skit act, 
Uh, human beings, American <laughs> citizens, are very simple. Do we understand? We date, we mate, we get married. Three and a half years after marriage, we have kids. Birth rates actually really, uh, pregnancy tests actually really kicked up in uh, 2020 to 2021. I love that chart. I keep on showing that chart everywhere, but now it's, you know, there's there's more verifiable data that you're starting to get uh, a more a more uh, uh, pregnancies and more births coming in, but it looks kind of in line with the, we have a lot of people ages 30 to 39. So of course it's painful to see this downtrend in inventory running right into the biggest demographic patch ever recorded in history. And then we got, we got clucked, boom, destroyed, right? The lowest inventory ever, solid demographics, inventory cracked to all time lows as a percentage of um, uh, uh, households, the lowest levels ever. And so that in a sense became an inflationary issue due to supply, not because of booming demand. No, we don't have sales data that look like during the housing bubble years, which didn't have a lot of growth in inflation back then, by the way. Um, but it just, home prices went up so much so fast, then rates went up so much so fast. You put those together, the total PITI costs, principal interest taxes and insurance, for some households, knock them out. They cannot move. They can say, I'm not moving. I have a 3% rate. You can't buy a house. That's 7%. So don't worry about it. You're not part of this. So that's the fear. The whole unhealthy to savagely unhealthy was the realization that credit channels aren't going to help you here. Affordability really matters. So you just get hit right uh, in a very short-term inflation. And that's that, that's very damaging. Uh, um, and not easy to kind of fix in a very short amount of time. And very, speaking of very short amount of time, we have just a few minutes left, but we did want to take some listener questions. We asked people on social, hey, you know, what should, what, what should we talk about? Specifically, what should I ask you? And, and definitely had some people talking about the mortgage rate lockdown. Had one person who said, you're bonkers. Uh, you've gone mad about the mortgage rate lockdown. I know you have already uh, addressed some of that. So here's a good question. How does America not turn into a, a nation of renters? Or, you know, I mean, I mean, affordability is really low. Rates are, you know, going up. How, how does that happen? Anything we can do about that? So people talked about, um, the affordability crisis from 2012 to 2020. And um, one of my things in the last cycle where I talk about we'd have the weakest housing recovery ever is because the, the demographics were more suited for renting back then than home buying, right? We had a lot of people ages like 16 to 24 that were just going to rent. Uh, so far, what we've seen still in the data is that when households are formed, especially with a dual household income, when you get married, these people can still buy homes. Now, we had a massive housing inflation situation that is historic in nature, and that has impacted the affordability data lines. But over time, if price growth cools down, like for myself, um, if I just had five years of 23% home price growth, if home prices came down three, 13% from the peak of the growth rate right now, let's say 38% to 13 we, we we get back to a level to where wage growth comes in and those people are home buyers. One third of the society are not home buyers. They're renters. They're service sector workers that just don't make enough money to buy homes unless they're part of a dual household income. So that portion to me is always going to have an affordability crisis if you put them into the home buying category, right? So uh, that's why the whole savagely unhealthy is the painful reality that you can't take this kind of housing inflation 
uh, in a short amount of time and think you can get away with that without any scars. We have some scars and we got to deal with it. And the only time, the only thing we can do here is time, right? Price growth cools down, prices fall, wages grow. It has to work itself out because you're not getting the builders to build a massive amount of homes to flood okay. the market with complete sales. So a follow-up on that is how do we see home home sales go down, right? Because assuming we don't have, you know, rates don't fall that much, you know, when you talk about cooling off of home prices, how does that happen? And, you know, we're on, well, it, we're on you just have a little bit happening. of time. So it's a lightning round question. It, it, we, we had, we, we, we've already seen it after the second half of the 2022 home prices were falling on a month to month basis, not the seasonal adjustment fallings, but we actually saw raw month to month declines. So that's, that's. That's the whole, we need higher rates to cool housing down. It's already happening. People don't realize it. it's actually having a positive effect. We're not having 15 to 20% to 20 year-over-year gains anymore. That's a positive for housing, not a negative. So uh, the mechanisms to try to cool down housing are working. We see it in the second half of the year. Even uh, And it, this is not just seasonal price uh, declines that we see every single year. This is raw, authentic, month-to-month uh, -month declines. It's not the explosion down in national home prices that people were thinking, but it's still, it's a cooling down of the process that has to work with wages and household formation. And it, it, it's, it's a frustrating thing. And this is why I've, I've always said the biggest fear I have is housing getting stuck in this situation uh, uh, for many years. And that's why the inventory situation was a big deal for me. Because uh, you could see what happens when you do not have enough supply of homes, too many people chasing too many, uh, too few homes. Brutal, brutal takedown last last year that we saw. Okay, last question, really quick. What are retail sales going to do? Retail sales? Oh, retail sales should cool down. Um, uh, the next print. Uh, what we've seen in the credit uh, accumulation data is that the growth rate of credit expansion is starting to cool down. So uh, the history of retail sales actually has. Uh, unless you're in like in a deep recession, we don't really have long negative year over year prints just because the population is gr uh, growing and, and the workforce is growing. So now you get a very slow rise uh, year over year, but the growth rate of credit is cooling down. So that eventually bites uh, retail sales growth. But if you look at the history of retail sales, it's really always growing. Yeah, the great financial recession, which destroyed credit and jobs. COVID was a delay, but uh, people don't know this. Like even the tech bubble bursting, uh, retail sales really didn't go negative year over year, just because most people are working. And and think of that in housing too. Um, when the next recession happens, and and this is this is a huge deal. It'll be more of a bigger conversation later on. Majority of home owners, home buyers, and home sellers who buy homes will always be employed. So people think a job loss recession is detrimental to housing. Always remember, we're, we don't need 20 million homes to be bought a year, right? 4 million stabilizes the housing market, you know, uh, with 4 million mortgage buyers. So we're already there right now with 4 million. So if rates fall, that's a benefit to the, the home buyers in the system that want to purchase. We had massive job gains last year and housing demand collapsed. Why rates? So rates disproportionately impact housing in a negative way, uh, 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 but they also disproportionately help it in a positive way. And just remember, most people are always working. Run the numbers. Run the numbers. Well, Logan, that is why we have you on, so you can run the numbers for us. I have more to say about the mortgage rate lockdown. We will we will revisit that topic on a regular basis, but thank you today for uh, walking us through everything that's happening. 
You're welcome. If you do see Casper somewhere in your house, okay, and he's got a 3% mortgage rate, tell him it's okay. He doesn't have a mortgage on his house. It's all right. He's He can move. You can go to the next house and haunt the other house. All right? I, I reject this phantom uh, mortgage rate lockdown theory. So that, that'll be for the next thing we talk about. Thank you so much, Logan. Success might look different this year, but it's out there for those willing to work for it. That's why 2023's Gathering of Eagles will focus on forging opportunities, the perfect chance for industry leaders to take a proactive approach to continually move the needle in their businesses and the real estate industry at large. Gathering of Eagles will bring together the nation's top residential real estate CEOs, presidents, and C-level leadership teams to grow, network, and set the pace for what's next in our industry. 2023's GOE is at Omni Barton Creek Resort in the rolling hill country of Austin, Texas from June 18th until the 21st. Learn more and register your spot on the events page at realtrends.com. And we can't wait to see you in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.